You're listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Uh, We're going to begin reading in just a moment at verse 39. Uh, We looked last Sunday at the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she would give birth to the Messiah. Uh, Today we're going to look at what is uh, commonly known as the Magnificat. Magnificat is a, a Latin word that means to magnify. This is Mary's song of praise, but uh, to get the context, we're going to start reading in verse 39. So Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. One of the things that uh, we love about the Christmas season are Christmas songs. I I heard someone say this past week, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without the music. And and there's a sense in which that's true. There are, of course, the um, silly festive songs, Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and songs like that. But but there are other songs that uh, we sing in church that, that remind us of why Jesus came. We sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We sing, hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We sing those songs, and those are good songs because they remind us of what we celebrate this time of year. They they remind us that that Jesus came into this world not to be our life coach, not to um, give us our best life now, but but Jesus came into this world to be our Savior, to save me, to save you from our sins and to save us from the, the terrifying judgment that we all deserve. That's why Jesus came. Now, while these songs contain very good theology, 
and, and they helpfully remind us of the good news of Jesus, these songs are not inspired. They are still man-made compositions. The passage before us this morning is historically viewed as a song because of its poetic form. This, however, that we just read is not a man-made composition. This is not human literature. The song that we just read together, Mary's Magnificat, is inspired by God. It's a beautiful song. It's a profound song. It's a song that, that has an awful lot to teach us about why we are joyful this time of year and, and really all throughout the year, why we should have joy. We're going to look at this song, this passage in three parts. First of all, we're going to see that Mary's song is preceded by joy. Secondly, Mary's song is rooted in Scripture. And third, Mary's song is characterized by humility. It's preceded by joy, it's rooted in Scripture, and it's characterized by humility. Children, if you were here last Sunday, you might remember that Mary has just received some amazing news, incredible news. She has gotten the greatest birth announcement ever. The angel, Gabriel, comes to her and, and he tells her, you will be the one who will give birth to the Messiah. Mary receives this news and, and, and she now leaves Nazareth, which was um, west of the Sea of Galilee. And she travels 90 miles south to the hill country of Judah. So she makes this, this 90 mile trip to go see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, children, if you were to get in your car after church and your mom or your dad was to drive 90 miles south of here, you would end up probably somewhere between Madeira and Fresno. You wouldn't think too much of a trip like that. You would, you would jump in your car, your minivan, your SUV, smooth roads for the most part, even though this is California, uh, and you would make the journey 90 miles south, and you would get there in about 90 minutes. Not a big deal, right? Not a long trip. Well, in Mary's day, they didn't jump in SUVs. They didn't get into a car. We, we don't know exactly how Mary traveled 90 miles south. She may have traveled on foot. She may have been part of a caravan. The Bible doesn't tell us. But however she made this trip, do you know how long it would have taken her to get 90 miles south? It would have taken her about three days at the very least, maybe up to five days to go see her cousin who was only 90 minutes south of her. But she wants to go see Elizabeth. She wants to share with Elizabeth the amazing news that she has just received, that she will give birth to the Messiah. And remember, Elizabeth is also pregnant. Elizabeth is pregnant. We're going to look at this tonight. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. And, and so Mary comes into the house, and, and she greets Elizabeth, her cousin. And children, did you notice what happens? What happens when, when Mary walks into that house? The, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Now, now babies move inside their mother's wombs all the time, right? Obviously, I don't have personal experience with this, but it's not unusual for a pregnant mother to feel her baby moving inside of her womb. 
But what's really interesting here is, is what Elizabeth says in verse 44. She says, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Isn't that interesting? That the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. In other words, John the Baptist, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist senses he is now in the presence of the Son of God. He senses that he is in the presence of the one whom he will be privileged to announce as the Messiah, and, and he leaps for joy. You know, we can't, we can't read this story without being amazed at how God works in the heart of this unborn child. Amazing, isn't it, how God works in the heart of this unborn child? And when you think of how many in the world today view unborn children, often it's nothing more than an inconvenience, often it's nothing more as, as getting in the way of what they want to do, I mean, we've seen, we, we, we've seen the reaction that they have when their precious right to murder unborn children is threatened to be taken away from them. Here, Elizabeth's unborn child leaps for joy at, the, at, at being in the presence of the Messiah. It's amazing to me how, how God works faith in the heart of an unborn child. It's a reminder to us this morning that to never think that God can't do a work in our children's hearts at an early age, even in the womb. Never to think that, that our children are an inconvenience or lesser citizens in the church. This unborn baby is leaping for joy that God is about to fulfill his promise to bring the Savior into the world. This morning we, we sit here 2,000 years later and our response should be joy as well, shouldn't it? We are joyful at this time of year. It's, it's, it's joy to the world, which we sang, I think, last Sunday. Joy to the world. It's not joy to the world, I'm going to get a lot of Christmas gifts. It's not joy to the world, I'm going to get a break from school for two weeks. It's joy to the world, the Lord has come. The Savior has come. The Redeemer has come. John the Baptist leaps for joy at this news even as an unborn child. I ask you this morning, do you find joy in this today? Do you rejoice that Jesus has come into the world to save you from your sin? Do you rejoice that Jesus has come to give you eternal life, to, to bring you into the family of God, to give you an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away from you? If you, in a sense, leap for joy at this truth, you can thank God that he has done that work in your life. And that work is no less miraculous in your life than it was in the life of John the Baptist in his mother's womb. 
You can say this morning, Lord, thank you. Thank you for opening my eyes to the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in in giving me the gift of faith to embrace Jesus as my Savior. I mean, let's face it, not everyone finds joy in this message. Many in our world today ignore the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. Many in our world today want nothing to do with the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. But if the the coming of Jesus into the world to be your Savior brings you joy this morning, it's because of the work of the Spirit of God in your heart. And you can thank him for that. You can praise him that he has given you the eyes of faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to find joy that, that this is your Savior. Now, if you're here this morning and and you don't have this joy, if you're watching on live stream and you don't have this joy, I want you to know that, that Jesus is the only one who can bring you true and lasting joy. You won't find joy in your possessions. You won't find this joy in your hobbies. You won't find this this lasting joy in, in, in your profession. True joy, lasting joy, real joy is found only in the one who came to deliver us from our sin and to give us eternal life. And so John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. Now you may not leap out of your seat today. We reformed people are a little bit more staid than that. But do you leap in your heart? Do you find joy in your heart that Jesus has come to deliver you? Mary's song is preceded by joy. Mary's song is also rooted in Scripture. Mary begins in verse 46, and and she says, "My, My soul, notice the word, magnifies the Lord. Now here's a question for you. And if, if, this was a, if this was a small group Bible study, we would probably talk about this around the table. But the question is, what does it mean to magnify the Lord? Children, have you ever used a um, magnifying glass before? You know what a magnifying glass is, right? You take that magnifying glass and, and you go outside and you like to look at things. You like to look at bugs, and you take that magnifying glass and, and, and you hold it up to that little bug and the magnifying glass makes the bug appear to be bigger than it really is. It really magnifies the bug and you can see everything about that bug which you couldn't see if you didn't have the magnifying glass. Is that what it means to magnify God? Do, do, we, do we make him appear to be bigger than he really is? Of course not. We can never make God bigger than he really is. And so again, back to the original question, what does it mean to magnify God? Well, instead of a magnifying glass, I want you to think of a telescope. Some of you have telescopes in your homes, and and you know what you use a telescope for. You take that telescope, and and you use it to, to take something that appears to be very small, because it's so far away, like a planet, and, and to see it for how it really is. 
we have a tendency to have too low of a view of God. Many years ago, a man by the name of J.B. Phillips wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. We have too low of a view of God. Mary here wants to magnify God like a telescope. She wants to make much of him. She, she wants to see him for who he really is. She wants to see his greatness and his majesty and his splendor. And so she says, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul wants to make much of God. My soul wants to praise him for who he really is. I told you last Sunday morning that Mary is probably 12 or 13 years old when she gets this announcement that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. She's 12 or 13 years old when she writes this song. And so there are some liberal scholars who will say, there's no way that a 12 or 13-year-old girl could have written a song like this. Now that objection ignores two things. First of all, it ignores the fact that the Bible is God-breathed. It ignores the fact that, that Mary was moved by the Holy Spirit so that what she wrote, what she sang in her song, truly was the Word of God. But it also ignores the fact that Mary knew her Bible. Mary knew her Bible probably better than most of us. One of the interesting features of this song that, that Mary writes, and we don't have time to look at the specifics, but it draws very heavily on the Old Testament. One scholar estimated that there are references in this song to Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. All in this little song. And specifically, Mary's song sounds a lot like Hannah's song in the book of 1 Samuel. Children, do you know who Hannah was? Hannah was a woman in the Old Testament who had no children. She, she was barren. She couldn't have children. And Hannah used to pour out her soul before the Lord in prayer. And, and, and she would beg the Lord to have a child. And one day the Lord answered her prayer. And the child born to Hannah was Samuel. We know Samuel from the Old Testament. And in response to the Lord's gift of a child, Hannah gave thanks to the Lord in a song, in a prayer. And her song was very much like Mary's song. It's a song of praise to God. Her song begins in a very similar way to Mary's song. She says, my heart exalts in the Lord. In other words, both Hannah and Mary make much of God in their songs. They, they praise him for who he is. They worship him for his, his mercy and his grace. And, and I say this to us this morning because this is a reminder of the calling that we have. This is the calling that, that you have as a, as a child of God. This is the calling that we have as Zion URC. Both individually and corporately. In, individually in our, in our times of prayer. We're not just bringing God a bunch of requests. We're not just unloading our want list on God. We are to praise him for who he is. We are, we are to thank him for what he's done for us. 
How much time in prayer do, do you spend and, and do I spend thanking God for who he is? How much time in prayer do, do you spend and, and do I spend thanking him for all that he's done for us? Often prayer ends up as nothing but a, a list of requests to God. But, but Mary's song and Hannah's song are reminders to us that we are to praise God for who he is. We are to think upon who he is. We are to think upon what he's done for us. That's true individually. It's also true, uh, true corporately. As a congregation, we, we gather on a morning like this one and every Sunday morning to extol God. We're not just here for a sermon. Now, of course, the sermon takes a, a significant amount of the worship service. The pulpit is in the center because the word of God is central. But we don't just show up, you know, I'll show up 30 minutes late, just catch the sermon. No, we are here together to, to praise our God, to extol him, to make much of who he is and much of what he's done for us. Earlier in our service, we sang, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. That's who he is. We sang earlier in our service, amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? That's what he's done for us. And in doing this, we are, in a very real sense, taking our telescope and we are magnifying God. And we are praising him for who he is and all that he has done for us. Mary knew her Bible. That's why she could write this song. Makes me think of what Charles Spurgeon said many years ago about John Bunyan. John Bunyan, you might know, was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is the second best-selling Christian book of all time behind the Bible. Here's what Spurgeon said about John Bunyan. If you read anything of Bunyan's, you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. Bunyan has read it till his very soul was saturated with Scripture. And though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his pilgrim's progress without continually making us feel and say, this man is a living Bible. Spurgeon goes on and says, prick Bunyan anywhere, cut him anywhere. And his blood is Bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I love that about what Spurgeon says. If you cut Bunyan, he bleeds Bible. That comes from a steady diet of the word of God. Reading the Bible regularly, hearing the Bible read and preached regularly. Because, you know, when you submit yourself, like Mary did, obviously, like John Bunyan did, when you, when you submit yourself to a steady diet of Scripture, what comes to mind when a trial comes into your life? The Word of God. When you submit yourself to a steady diet of Scripture, what comes to mind when, when you have something to rejoice about? The Word of God. This morning we were privileged to celebrate Josiah's baptism and Justin and Nicole 
they, they said yes to this question. The question was, do you sincerely promise to do all that you can to teach Josiah and to have him taught this doctrine of salvation? Justin Nicole said yes to that question. Many of you in this room this morning said yes to that question. Maybe multiple times you have said yes to that question. I will teach my child the word of God. Now, it's not always easy, is it? Parents, let me encourage you this morning to continue to give your children a steady diet of the Word of God. There will be times, if you haven't faced this already, that you're going to say to yourself, is this really worth it? There are going to be times that you're going to wonder if your children are even paying attention at the dinner table during family devotions. Your child's feeding broccoli to the dog or something. And you think, are they even paying attention to what I'm saying and reading? God is faithful. There are times you're going to sit here and worship and you're going to go, they're not even listening. God is faithful. Continue to give your children a steady diet of the word of God. And don't forget, parents, don't forget something very important. And that is what God says to us in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I'll bet you there were times in Mary's life as a child her parents thought, is she listening? Is she paying attention? God's word does not return to him empty. It doesn't return to him void. I'm so thankful that our children can be with us in worship. I'm so thankful that they can hear the word of God along with all of us. So thankful that they can sing to him. So thankful for you parents who are faithful in training your children. God's word will accomplish his exact purpose. So parents, press on. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Keep reading scripture with your children. Keep bringing them to church. Keep feeding yourself also a steady diet of God's word. Wouldn't it be great if someone were to say about us, You know, if you cut him or you cut her, they would bleed Bible. That's what we see with Mary. This girl knows God's word. She knows God's promises. She rejoices. She praises God. She she magnifies God that, that God is now going to fulfill what he said he would do in the Old Testament. The deliverer promised in Genesis 3 The lamb promised in Genesis 22. The prophet promised in Deuteronomy 18. The the king promised in 2 Samuel 7. The suffering servant promised in Isaiah 53. He's coming. He's coming to save us. He's coming to deliver us. He's coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Mary knew the word of God. One final thing, and that is Mary's song is characterized by humility. Notice what she says in verse 48. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary doesn't say, well, look, it's obvious why he picked me. It's obvious that that I'm so righteous. It's obvious that I'm better than most people. No, she recognizes her lowly position. She recognizes that she's just a young girl from Nazareth. And most importantly, she recognizes that she's a sinner. None of this nonsense that Mary never sinned. Do you notice what Mary calls God in verse 47? God, my what? My Savior. Mary recognizes that she needs a Savior. question of course is do I recognize my humble estate do I recognize that I'm no better than people who don't believe do I recognize that that I need Jesus as much as anyone else do we think that we're better than other Christians because we're reformed I can't remember who it was recently. It was either Bill Green or Paul Murphy who, who said, you know, we, we, if we're Reformed Christians, we should be the most humble people on the face of the earth. Do we look down on other believers because they don't have the handle on doctrine like we do, or at least we think we do? A person said to me this week, um, I'm afraid that too often we consider ourselves to be Reformed first and Christians second. That ought not to be. I've heard accounts of people saying before, well, if you're not Reformed, you're probably not even a Christian. That troubles me. Makes me worried about a person's heart who would say that. You might not be a Christian because you're not Reformed. Charles Spurgeon's not going to be in heaven. before you say, I thought first Spurgeon was reformed. Well, he's, he's Calvinistic. He's not reformed in the sense of believing in infant baptism. But again, do we think we're better than other people? I hope that's not the case with us. I pray that's not the case with us. I pray that we hold to our doctrine with humility and love. Mary, you know, Mary touches on one of the great themes of Scripture, that God brings down the proud and he exalts the humble. You see the language she uses here? Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty. He sends the rich away empty, but he exalts the humble and he fills the hungry with good things. What a great example of humility. What a great example of of a person, a woman who who understands her lowly estate and recognizes that she needs Christ. And by the way, isn't humility how Jesus has delivered us? 
We read in Philippians chapter 2 that, that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 that he who was rich became poor for us so that by his poverty we might be made rich. That's a glorious truth this morning that the Lord Jesus came from the exaltation of heaven to this earth to save unworthy, needy sinners like us. Brothers and sisters, we have great reason to sing with Mary this morning. We have great reason to say, my soul magnifies the Lord because of who he is and because of what he has done for an unworthy sinner like me. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has done great things for us, things which we don't deserve, things which we haven't earned. And so we lift up our voices together and we offer praise to him and we offer our lives to the one who gave himself for us if you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com thank you for listening